with me, Acts chapter number 13. Acts chapter number 13. And somebody's like, does it bother you to have kids wiggling and dropping stuff and tearing stuff up? No, it kind of bothers me to have a church that doesn't have any of that. Because then I know I'm just a few years from extinction. Right now I'm a few years from craziness. And I think of some of them kids being in the youth group, some of them kids being adults. Um, how many of you remember being young? You remember being young. How many of you that's longer ago than you care to admit? <laughs> and uh, we think about childhood, but what, chi what every generation needs is the truth. I'm worrying Acts chapter number 14, or Acts chapter number 13, rather. Acts chapter number 13, and, and uh, I made the decision as far as preaching. Uh, it's amazing to me. Now, I don't, I don't know that I've ever purposely been in a series as long as I have in the book of Acts, but I'm enjoying it. And uh, it's amazing how applicable the Word of God is for every generation. Now, when Acts chapter number 13 and verse number 47 will take us our text verse, and then we'll walk through this passage together and make a couple applications and, and ask the Lord to help us. But in Acts chapter number 13 and verse number 47, uh, the Apostle Paul is, is preaching and teaching and part of his missionary journey, and he makes this statement. He says, for so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee, notice this, to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for the salvation unto the ends of the earth. And I'd like to preach for a little while on this subject, on a light in darkness. Now, a light in darkness. The Bible says here that the Apostle Paul's life and, and those that were with him were to be a light to the Gentiles. Now, historically, we'll understand in just a moment that the gospel was going from the Jew, going to the Gentiles. We understand that. But he says that my life may be used for the salvation of people under the ends of the earth. Now, here's my challenge to you. I'll give it to you in the introduction. We'll look at the passage, and I'll give it to you in the application. We can spend our life talking about how dark it is and talking about how terrible things are. And they, by the way, they are. And they're going to get worse. You say, are you a pessimist? No, I'm a biblicist. I understand the Bible says it's going to get worse before the Lord comes. And we can talk about that or we can ask God to help us to be a light in darkness, a light to the Gentiles. And if you get your Bible in Acts chapter number 13, we'll remind ourselves that this is the first missionary journey the Apostle Paul being sent forth with Barnabas from the church at Antioch in Acts chapter number 13. And, and then they make a terrible mistake in Acts chapter number 13 and verse number 15. After Paul had dealt with the sorcerer, the, the sly one, the false prophet, that he goes to the next town. They departed from Perga and Antioch and went to Poseidon, which is in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they sat down on the Sabbath day in the synagogue, and, and that was the place they were seeking for uh, people that knew God and, and trying to teach them. It says in verse number 15, and after the reading of the law, the prophets of the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, notice that, saying, ye men and brethren, if you have any word or exhortation for the people, say on. You say they made a terrible mistake. Yeah, here they are in the synagogue. They've read the Old Testament prophets. And then they ask the apostle Paul, says, you boys got anything to say about this? <laughs> they ask a preacher if he wanted to say a few words. 
And of course, the Apostle Paul said a few words. This is the first recorded sermon that we have uh, from the Apostle Paul. I want you to notice a couple things with me. Notice, first of all, notice the preparation of history. Now, we're talking about school and we're talking about subject matter and history and science. And, and by the way, they never find anything in science or in history that contradicts this Bible. And in Acts chapter number 13 and beginning in verse number 16 and following, he, so Paul stood up and he beckoned with his hand and said, men of Israel and ye that fear God give audience. He says, so if you really want to know who God is and you, you're serving God or you think you're serving God, he says, listen to me. He says, the God of this people, of Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people that they dwell as strangers in the land of Egypt and with a high arm he brought them out. So remind yourself, he's teaching and preaching to the Jewish synagogue and he, he says, I'm going to set the stage with history and God chose Israel, God chose Abraham and don't let that scare you. There's a difference between national selection and, and personal election. But here he says this, God chose Israel and they ended up in Egypt. And he says, you know the story, how they ended up in Egypt from Joseph's household. And he says, and God brought them out, look, with a strong arm. And the crossing out of the Red Sea and how God delivered them has always been a picture and it's always a reference of personal deliverance and personal salvation. So he's talking to them and he's preaching to them. He says, now y'all remember now how God delivered them with a high arm and high, a strong arm. And that's a great God. And you know, I'm sure they're like, yeah, we, we know that. Hurry on. And then the Bible says in verse number 18, it says, and about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. He says, remember those wilderness wanderings? Remember how God stirred and, and led them and yet cared for them? And then the Bible says in verse number 19, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by law. He says, so now remember when they finally went into the promised land and they had those warring campaigns and, and notice he said this, it wasn't the children of Israel that won the victory in the promised land, that was God's victory. God had done something that armies could not do and so they conquered nations and here they are. And he says, now y'all remember that. Now we're going somewhere, you stay with me. It says in verse number 20, he says, and then you remember, he said, God gave him judges for 430 years. He said, remember the time of the judges? And I'm sure those scholars are sitting there said, yeah, we know all about those judges. Then it says in verse 21, he says, and afterward they desired a king and God gave them Saul and he, then he remembered the, 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 the kingdom of Saul about the space of 40 years. And they're like, yeah, we appreciate this history lesson. <coughs> then it says in verse number 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto him David to be their king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which hath fulfilled all my will. So they said, now remember, now he took them in just a few verses all the way from Abraham. Now they're all the way to David. And he said, remember how God, God found a man after his own heart. And, and by the way, I'm thrilled that in the New Testament, God still refers to David as a man after his own heart. You say, what's the significance? After David sinned, after David failed God, he came back to God and God still referred to him as a man after his own heart. He said, you remember David? And by the way, every Israelite understood who David was. 
They, they knew who David was, King David. Uh, even in history, the persona of perfection. And, and we know about Michelangelo's David. And they understand the concept of who David is. Now, that, that's, that's where we're getting somewhere. Because they, they understood that they were part of this kingdom. And they were part of this. And so they're thinking pretty good about themselves about right now. Uh, but look in verse number 23. It says, of this man's seed, God raised according to his promise, and he raised unto Israel, notice this, a Savior, Jesus. Now, so, go, so, so Paul and his preaching has taken them to a historical lesson. He says, by the way, now we're getting to the crucial point. Now we're getting to the crux of history. We're getting to this person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll go ahead and say in the onset that all of history is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in verse number 24, And when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, the Israelites knew that there was going to be a prophet that foretold of the Messiah, that foretold of the promised one. And it says in verse number 25, don't miss this, And as John fulfilled his course... (laughs) He said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I'm not worthy to lose. Go back with me to John chapter number one. You say, What was John? So all this history comes down to a point. It says, Now, y'all remember John the Baptist, right? Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he's teaching them. And he says, now, you remember John notices, and John fulfilled his course. John did with his life what God called him to do. You say, what was John's message? John's message, real simple, I'm not worthy, but he is. John said, I'm not him, but he is definitely coming. If you go back to John chapter number one and the ministry of John the Baptist in verse 23, he said this, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as, as saith the prophet Isaiah. In verse 27, he says, he, he it is who cometh after me is preferred before me. Whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to unloose. He says, I, I'm not worthy. I, I, you think I'm a great prophet, but I understand my role in history. I understand my position in the position of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not even worthy to latch his shoes. Now you think about it. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. You think about someone that, uh, whose, de- whose birth was specially announced. You think about someone who had great following, someone who had great crowds, someone who, who could preach with thunder, someone who had been set aside for a purpose. And he said this, when I consider the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I am absolutely nothing. He said, I may understand this. To you and I, we can fulfill our purpose We can fulfill our purpose, but only if we understand something, that we are not worthy that he is. That we only have a ministry in relationship to who he is. In John chapter number one, he he continues on in verse number 29. So the next day, Jesus seeth Jesus coming unto him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. (laughs) And he says, he was after me in verse number 30, and he was before me. John's starting to understand a little bit about who Jesus is. He says again in verse number 36, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he says, behold the Lamb of God. You say, what's that got to do with us, preacher? Let me say this to you. History is only significant around one person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You say, what's important about that? Everything, look, everything we understand from a historical context is centered around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, what does that mean in modern day? We wonder about Afghanistan, not about Afghanistan and its relationship to America, but Afghanistan in relationship to Bible prophecy on the fact that the Bible said that eventually the Lord Jesus Christ would come and he would rule and reign on his throne of David. It is only significant in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this to you. Your life only has significance in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know why the world is despondent? You want to know why the world is so full of, I don't know why it matters anymore? It's because they've not understood that their life's purpose has to be connected to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. John the Baptist is just an example of one that said, I'm not worthy, but he is. I'm not the Savior, but he is. He is the Lamb of God, and he said it twice. In case y'all were wondering who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Jesus of Nazareth. So I ask you this question as we think about history. We understand a great God that can deliver the children of Israel. We understand a great God that can deliver through the time of the judges. We understand a great God that can send John the Baptist. But can I say this to you? Do you understand a great God that could connect your life to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this sermon in just a minute is going to get real personal. See, we like it when the preacher preaches on big things, <laughs> things out there, abstract things, but it's another thing when he preaches on personal things. Notice in verse number 25, underline it in your Bible. John fulfilled his purpose. Or his course, I should say. The Bible says course. I ask you a question. Are you fulfilling what God gave you to do? Now, I said a moment ago, I'm praying for these young people that no life is by accident. No, no, no life comes into this world without God knowing about it. God says in his word, he says, before, I, before you were in the belly, he said, I formed you. I knew you in the belly. I knew you in the womb. He says to others, I, I've got plans for you. I know what you're going to do. We understand John the Baptist and, and Elizabeth and Mary and those babes leaping in the womb when the Spirit of God moved and how they were alive because they understood their purpose. And you think, man, that's pretty exciting stuff. But I ask you this question. Why are you here? Why are you alive? Say, well, I'm a clump of cells that existed. Really? Your clump of cells that just kind of existed, then you've missed your purpose. You can never fulfill your purpose if you do not connect your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can live it, you can have money, you can have some times of happiness, you can have some times of joy, but if you do not connect your life to what the Lord is doing in the world, then you'll never fulfill your purpose. Notice the second thing, not on the preparation history. Go back with me, Acts chapter number 13. Notice the preaching of the resurrection power. Now he, now he turns it. He says in verse number 16, a transition again. He says, men and brethren. It's kind of like him saying, are y'all still listening? <laughs> or some preacher may say it this way. Look up in here now. He says, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham and Whosoever among you notice that feareth God, notice this, then it gets real personal. He says to you. So we can think about the world and nations and God being big, but now he starts zeroing in. He says, now God has not only chosen the nation of Israel, God has not only perfected them, and God has not only chosen what he did through John's life. He says, now to you is the word of this salvation sin. He says, now it's coming to you. 
He says, they that dwell in Jerusalem and the rulers. Notice this, because they knew him not, nor yet had voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in, con in condemning him. And they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the scepter. He says, so here, the, here they were, the leaders, they could find no fault in him, but you know the story. They went ahead and crucified him anyway. But notice the hinge in verse 30. He says, what man did, he says, but God raised him from the dead. <laughs> And now he goes on in verse number 31, and he was seen many days of them which came unto him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. So we know about the post-resurrection appearances of the Lord. But now he says this in verse number 32. He gets real personal. He says this, but we declare unto you glad tidings. We declare unto you the gospel. We declare unto you the good tidings. He says how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto their children and that he has raised up Jesus again as it is written in the second Psalm, thou art my beloved son. This day have I begotten thee. And as concerning the that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said unto this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. So in verse 33, he says this, God fulfilled his promise. He raised him from the dead. And he quotes from Psalm 2. He said, this is my son, and I've begotten thee. He quotes in verse 34 from Isaiah 55 about the sure mercies of God. Then he says in verse number 35, he says, wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. That's Psalm 16, verse number 10. So he gives from them a historical lesson. Then he says this, I'm preaching you to the gospel, and that gospel is this, that the Lord Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Now, I want you to understand something. That is an exclusive thought about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. That is not something that we read or something that we just kind of accept. That is a personal decision you make. That is a personal choice. He says, I'm preaching unto you that which produces salvation. That which produces salvation is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Everything else hinges on that. You say, what's the significance of that? The significance of that is the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ as the way of salvation. Amen. You say, well, I studied world religions. He said, no, 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 no. Uh, there's only one that makes the claim that they've risen from the dead. And he understands this. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And so he's putting that in place. He says, now I want you to understand something. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ, God raised him. And in Psalms, he was talking about it. In Isaiah, when he talks about the mercies of God, he was talking about it. In Psalm 16, he says, when I will not let my Holy One see corruption, he was talking about him. Now go with me to the next verse. This is where to me it gets gooder and gooder. He said in verse 36, he said in David, now we go back to David because everybody identified with David. <laughs> Everybody recognized who King David was. He says, for David, after he had served his own generation, and there's a powerful preaching in that, that David could only serve his generation. We are, we are responsible to serve our generation. We can prepare for the next generation, as David prepared for Solomon to build the temple, but we can only serve in our generation. Notice this. <laughs> and David, after he had served his generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. So what does that mean? David died like everybody else dies. And he was laid unto his father and he saw corruption. That means his body is being corrupted. It's going back to the earth. 
And he says, he says, as great as David was, David died and David was buried. David's body is now experiencing corruption. But notice, here's another one of those hinge points. Look in verse 37. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. You say, what does that mean? It means there's, look at me, there's one greater than King David. <laughs> there's one that though the psalmist writes about him, he's not writing. The psalmist wasn't writing about himself. Though John preached about him, John wasn't preaching about himself. And David said, hey, when he wrote those psalms, he says, I am not the anointed one. He says, and though David, as we think about the sweet psalmist of Israel, and you're still singing his songs, and you're still quoting his scriptures, and you're still talking about King David and, and being from that throne, and you're wanting to reestablish the kingdom of David. He says, I'm telling you, when David's life was over, David did everything he could in his life to serve his generation by the will of God. But then they laid him to rest, and he saw corruption. But then he says in the next verse, but he, the promised one, the Lord Jesus Christ saw no corruption. I've written in my Bible after verse number 36, and that is this, there's one greater than David. See, the preaching of the resurrection understands that, that there is one that is exalted, there is one that is high, there is one that is holy. And by the way, his word is not a byword, and his name is not a curse word. His name is a holy word. Bible says thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. When you speak of Jesus it is not a slang term. It is the resurrected Lord, the promised one, the Messiah. He says he's the one that conquered death, hell and the grave and life is about him and history is about him. You see the preaching of the resurrection then let me give you this third thing and I'm done. Notice the personal decisions that have to be made. Verse number 38, he says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, there's another one of them transitions. He says, Y'all still listening? He says, This man, through this man, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin, and by him all that believe are justified for all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. He says, I'm going to say something to you. Y'all are still studying the law? Y'all are still trying to live by the law? He says, This man brought two things that the law can never bring. First of all, he brought forgiveness of sins. <laughs> Forgiveness of sins never to be remembered no more. And somebody mistakes in this and they say, well, the Lord, look, if the Lord understood my past, if the Lord understood my past, the Lord knew your past when he sought after you. And sometimes say, well, I know the Lord is my Savior and I've messed up. And can I say this to you? He knew you were going to mess up when he sought after you. First John says this, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. And so for us to walk around like we, we do not need forgiveness of sins after the moment of salvation, we're, dis, we're, we're placing dishonesty on the word of God. But God says if we, if we do sin, we can, we can have an advocate with the Father. We can confess our sins and he can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm, Psalm 50, David said, he says, search me and try me. And he says this, he makes this statement in that penitent Psalm. He said this, if you wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. And he makes this statement, look at me. Create in me a clean heart. You say, what's that? That's that creative work of God. That means God spoke the world into existence. God, look, he spoke it into existence. Somebody said, when did man get here? We were talking about that this week. Man got here on day six. 
not age seven or 14 million years later. Man got here, look on me, on day six. And the Bible says right here that he was in there, he, he was with them in the beginning. <laughs> and he, he created the world, Jesus created the world, and he holds, Colossians says this, he holds it all together. So it's all in him. And he says, now, through him you find something, you find forgiveness of sin. Then he says this, all that believe, circle the little word all. All that believe on him and the gospel and the power of the resurrection, all that believe receive, the Bible uses this word, justification. You say, what is justification? Justification is a right standing before God. It is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ imputed on my account. I no longer go into the throne room as Mark Fowler. I no longer go into the holy place as a fallen man. I no longer go in as an enemy of Christ. I now go in on his record and I have every right to be there because I have been justified through this man. The holy one. I have a right standing with God because of him. And if you think you have a right standing with God because of any other reason, I say this to you, you do not have a right standing with God. He said, well, I'm not a bad person. Well, you sure ain't a good one. So don't talk to me like that. The book does. There's none good, no, not one. I believe that's Romans 3.10. I believe Romans 3.20 says, for we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. You say, well, I've been, I've been searching out truth. The Bible says there's none that go looking for God, that God comes looking for you. And so if you think you've got a right standing because of something you've done, then you don't understand what this man did for you. And you don't keep that, you simply trust in him. You see the forgiveness, the right standing before God, then I, I must hasten on. He goes on, he says, then beware, and he talks about what happened and in verse number 44 and he says on the next Sabbath day he said the whole city he said he preached so good the whole city said we're going to have a we're going to extend the meeting a week that's what it says in verse number 44 said the whole city gathered together to hear the word of God said the next Sabbath day said if you'll stay around a week we'll have another meeting like this said verse number 45 it says and when the Jews saw the multitudes they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken of by Paul contradicting and blasphemy let me say this to you Every time God's message goes forth and people believe, the devil will always sow envy and blasphemies. We pray for every one of these young people to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve him. Do you not think they're going to, they're going to deal with blasphemies? Do you not think they're going to deal with envy? Do you not think they're going to deal with strife? But look, Paul and them dealt with it. They even dealt with it, look, from the religious leaders because what they didn't want to do is nobody to monkey with their business. Then it goes on down in verse 46. He says, but he says, I've got to go. Paul and Barnabas says that they wax bold. And it says in verse 46, it was necessary that the word of God first be spoken unto you, seeing you put from you and judge yourselves under the word of the everlasting. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. says, we preach the word of God unto you. You've had your chance. They said, now we're going to the Gentiles. He says in verse 47, our text verse, he says, we're going to be a light unto the Gentiles. In verse 48, he says, and then when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. He says, we're glorifying the word of God, what was rejected. He says, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, and don't let that verse scare you, God knows who's going to accept him. But he says this, that all that believe, and the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is our job to take the gospel to the ends of the earth.
He says in verse 49, he says, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the regions. And verse 50, here it is again, the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. They, they said, well, we got kicked out. That's kind of funny. One week they're like, let's have another camp meeting. I'm putting it in our vernacular. Let's hold, let's hold the tent over for a week. Next week they're getting kicked out. They said, we want you out of here and you're gone and you're done. That's what it says. They expelled them out of their coast. And then look at this in verse 51. Look. And they shook off the dust off their feet against them and came unto Iconium. Now here's what I want you to get a hold of in verse number 51. They didn't sit. They didn't pout. They didn't whine about how bad that city was. They got up. And they shook the dust off their feet and they went on. They went, look at me, they went to the next town. What's a next town mindset? We're a local church. I understand the next town. We, we can, can be considered about the regions. But a next town mindset is this. You can be ridiculed by one at work or by one at school or be made fun of. Then all we got to do is shake the dust off our feet and move on. What they do with what they've been given is between them and God. You say, am I glad about it? No, I'm never glad when someone rejects Christ. Then notice it says in verse number 52, the last verse. It says, and the disciples were filled with joy. Now, preacher, they just got kicked out of town. They just got blasphemed against. They just got, the Bible says in verse 45, contradicting. They, they got argued against. They got expelled they got not welcomed here notice this and the disciples were filled with joy notice this with the Holy Ghost you see what they understood is the world is not rejecting me and the world is not rejecting you the world is rejecting him who has risen him who brings forgiveness him who brings justification my job is to be like John, to fulfill my purpose. My job is to be like David, to serve my generation. My job is to be like Paul, a light in dark places. So I ask you a question. The decisions you have to make is, is pretty simple. Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? How will you deal with envy and ridicule? Will you testify? Will you let your light shine? And will you stop at the first sign of opposition? I ask you this morning, is your life's purpose connected to his purpose? Will you spend your life in darkness or will you determine you're going to be a light? Someone has said it. I don't know who said it, but... You know, the, the darker the day, the brighter the light. The distinction, look, the distinction between a child of God and a child of Satan should, should never be starker, broader contrast than it is today because it is so wicked. But I ask you a question. Are you just like them living with no purpose? You're just going through the motions of life. We'll say, oh, I'm going to do this, get married, raise a family, make a living, hopefully have a little bit left to retire on, travel, make a few trips. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things if they're connected to the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But if that's the whole purpose you're living, then I hate to burst your bubble, you've got no purpose. You're existing for no reason. You're a practicing atheist. If you're not considering connecting your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's doing in this world today. A light in darkness. So, Brother Mark, I'd rather complain about the darkness. I say this to you, it's time to polish your lamp. And as little kids used to sing, let your light shine, this little light of mine. It's dark, it's dangerous, it's difficult, oh yeah. Well, last time I checked, I've not got kicked out of this city. I might. We don't know. We, we talk about our mild inconveniences and then we, we, we humble on our face before God when we consider what Christians in other parts of the world are facing on days like today. And I'm asking you, what are you doing with your light? Filled with joy, connected to the Holy Spirit, shining brightly in the day of darkness.